this, 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 this show is brought to you by Safety FM. Welcome to Unapologetically Bold, I'm Not Sorry For. If you are a person that is tired of apologizing for being you, you know, the human part of you that sometimes feels like it has to be different at home versus work versus play, the human side that just wants to be hot, humble, open, and transparent about your wants, desires, and uniqueness. If you answered yes, this is for you. Join me, Emily Elrod, as I dive into conversations with amazing guests about what they are not sorry for in creative and loving ways. Let's get started. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to another Unapologetically Bold, I'm Not Sorry For. And I'm so excited today to have a local good friend with me, Heath. Welcome, hey. Heath. Hey, thanks so much for having me. This is going to be a fun conversation, and I'm excited for the listeners um, because one, they may be this person. Um, two, we all are in a sense. We we all are. Yeah. Um, if you have kids, or even if you're managing or leading other people, you that's to, right. Um, but also because in the world of sports that we both are in, we're seeing its impact. Yes. And addressing it now. So before we get into that, Heath, tell the world a little bit about you. Who is who is he? Well, most importantly, I'm, I'm a husband. I'm a father of four. I have three girls and a, and a son, and I'm, I'm a follower of Christ. I'm a Christian, un, unashamedly. Uh, and I, uh, I've spent 20 years of my life in the coaching profession. Ten of those was at the University of Tennessee at Chattanooga as a Division One head coach. And then I got out. I worked for Fellowship of Christian Athletes, and I launched a company called The Better Way Athletics that tries to help create alignment between parents and coaches on the sport journey and really just restore the joy of sport. This thing called sport was really intended to be fun. Uh, and as we look around, it's really not fun for most people. And that includes our children. And to me, uh, a lot of people see that. And I wanted to offer a prescription. Uh, mm -hmm. Our world is really good at pointing out problems. But I wanted to be an individual and an organization that said, hey, we see the problem, but we're also going to offer a prescription. I love it. And I think it's so important for people to understand that there is there is hope. There there are things love that, you that can word. do. Um, there's so many different avenues out there that are just and, and the thing is, is what I think it's ignorance. It's not stupidity. It's just ignorance. Mm -hmm. People just don't know. Mm -hmm. um, they're just trying their best, which leads us into what you're not sorry for. So he the show is called Unapologetically Bold. What are you? no longer apologizing for. Well, I mean, you know, I'm just not sorry for helping combat what, what we would say is well-intended parents in the sport world. You know, as I travel around the country, even ac across the seas, you know, there's this common theme amongst coaches when I ask them, hey, what's the biggest issue in the sport world today? And number one answer, hands down, always, no matter the language, no matter the age, no matter the demographic, is usually going to be parents. And to me, that's very sad and unfortunate because I believe parents are our greatest asset. Uh, I mean, who knows their kid better than the parents, even if they're what they know is a little skewed by their love for them. And so, Emily, what we call it in this parenting world is we call it a misapplication of love. We mm. don't think that mom and dad are crazy because when I see them at Publix, they're super cool. They're laid back. They're buying groceries. I mean, you know, everything's just normal. But yet when we go to that 10-year-old Little League field or that 10-year-old basketball game, 
these emotions began to happen inside of us because of our absolute love and passion for our child that can sometimes be very unhealthy because the parent, we see that child with our heart. And there are some people in the world that say, well, just follow your heart. Well, I know this about Heath Esslinger, my heart's dangerous because it will lead me to maybe do some really stupid things. And so, you know, what we try to help parents do is not simply see this with your heart because that's going to be natural, but to also see this with your mind. And so how can we help parents make better decisions for their child on this athletic journey that we're on? And ultimately, the bit, the biggest benefactor of that's going to be our own children that we love mm -hmm. so much. Yeah, it makes me think of the recent story with LeBron James. You know how he called out the uh, speaker, whoever, an announcer about saying that his son, they only got advantages because of of him, you know, mm -hmm. basically. Yeah. And, and, the, and he stopped and there was this argument, so-and-so. But the emotional, but also as the kid, like, to feel that. So what are some of the things that you're seeing um in the world of sport that parents are doing that you just it's like please for the love of god can can we just bring awareness to it so so a, a couple of things and one this is not just um in the world of sport this is also true in the world of academics it could be in the world of art and and again it goes back to that misapplication of love and because we live in this world that's so well it's so publicized in a sense, yet the truth really isn't evident because what we put on social media, we only put our kids highlights, you know, on social media. We don't put them striking out or getting, you know, beaten a wrestling match or in a, in a basketball game. And so a couple of things I would say are, are, are really, really important is, is, and it's one of the first things we teach at A Better Way Athletics, and it's this, don't get so consumed with what matters now that you lose sight of what matters most. And so if you get so consumed with a seven-year-old baseball result, you will completely lose sight of everything else and begin to make decisions that are very unhealthy. I love what Dr. Tim Elmore says. I love Tim Elmore. And Tim Elmore says this, the further out I can see as a parent, the better decision I'll make in the present. Mm -hmm. And so in those moments, whether it be athletically, academically, or just in the journey of life, don't get so consumed with the now, although it is important that you miss what matters most. The, the second thing I would say is understanding that my role as a parent isn't simply to provide my children all the best opportunities. You know, I, I have parents ask me all the time, well, what do you think we should do? I'm like, one, I think you should make a family decision, not a kid decision, because it doesn't revolve around them. And if they think it does, you're setting them up for failure. Mm -hmm. So your job is not to provide all the best opportunities. It's to discern what are the right opportunities. And, uh, mm -hmm. and, you know, so that's important. The third thing I would say is, you know, don't buy the lie that, you're, that your only job is to protect and provide. Although protection and provision are important, when we protect and provide at all costs, here's what we do. We, we almost hinder our child from growing up. Uh, and so, like, I, I'm a big believer in letting our kids struggle early. I don't like the word... I push back against this idea of we have to let our kids fail. I think we're living in a society that's failing at an epic rate. I think we have to teach them to struggle mm -hmm. so that they know how to push failure down the road. Like, I mean, mm -hmm. what is failure anyway? I mean, like, because you you quit sports at 13, that doesn't make you a failure. You might just not like the sport anymore. And so, and then the, la the last thing I would say, and there's so much, I could talk about it all day, and then we can address some of these, but like, 
man, it's so hard, but you have to focus on who your kids are becoming, not on what they're doing or achieving. Mm. Like, who are they becoming? If you focus on who they're becoming, you will raise the roof on what they can achieve. And so one of the things I saw at the upper levels of sport, Emily, was this, is that kids today have gifts and skills that get them to a room. Their character won't allow them to stay. We see that even academically. I mean, the kid's really smart, but they don't know how to navigate relationships. So they go to college or get a job and listen, hey, you're super intellectual, but you're, you don't know how to get along with people. So no one wants to hire you. And so as a parent, my role really is to give them the character to stay in whatever room God has for them. I don't know. Maybe it's division one athletics. Maybe it's being a stay at home mom. You know, maybe, maybe it's being a school teacher or, you know, I don't know, but do they have the character to stay in that room? That's our ultimate goal as a parent. Oh, there's so many things I could hit here. Um, I'm going to go on your last one specifically. Um, And it actually will flow probably into all of them is my theory on this one. But the first thing I hear on this is something that I've been big on combating against with my children specifically, but with people in general is the notion that we got to know what we're going to do at age five, six, seven, eight. I'm going to be a doctor. I'm like, no. And so for me, uh, who are you going to be? Yes. Now, what are you going to be? Yes. Who are you going to be? And my daughter, she said, she goes, I'm going to be kind. I'm like, yeah. that's all I care. Because that, like you said, it's going to get you into those rooms. Because the thing that I am seeing is in the Division One world, we're seeing the anxiety levels. Oh, my that are gosh. Off the freaking roof. And what my... My thing is, is I do a lot with the acceptance and commitment theory. Um, And what I have found is how much it impacts confidence. And that since these kids really didn't get to accept their path a lot of times. And so they they stayed committed to their parents' path. Yes. Or what they thought was best because the people that love them told them is best. And they never had decisions made they never had to make the decision it was always made for them yeah then they get in this room and they don't have confidence and unless their parents around to come save them yes i I say so i say it all the time and if you follow me on social media you've probably seen me do it you know people today say well kids have no self-confidence i'm like well there's a reason why we never let them do anything themselves Mm -hmm. they've never accomplished a task and so what happens is as as a mom or a dad well-intended mom or dad when we when we rescue them or intervene in situations where they can overcome, we rob them of confidence. Mm-hmm. We also rob them of resiliency. And so this whole idea of anxiety is really twofold. We, we haven't allowed them to build their resiliency tank, which really is fueled by this word I call hope. Mm-hmm. Because Dallas Willard defines hope this way. He says, hope is the joyous anticipation of good. Mm-hmm. And the function of hope is to keep my present circumstance open to a future possibility. And so it's the power of the word yet. Hey, I'm not there yet, but I can get there. I believe in myself. And so we rob them both of confidence and resiliency when we're constantly intervening. And so it's why I love, I call it the value of struggle because a seven-year-old struggle has a seven-year-old consequence. Mm -hmm. And so if I allow them to overcome and get through the seven-year-old struggle, they're ready for the eight-year-old struggle and then the nine-year-old struggle and the 10-year-old struggle and the 18-year-old struggle. And so, and there's two areas for every mom and dad that are listening out there. And by no means am I an expert. Man, we're all in this together. 
Like if you have children, you know, they change. I have three teenage girls. They change minute by minute. Okay. But the reality of it is there's two areas. I think we've really robbed our kids when it comes to this area of struggle. And it's the two areas that are the most critical. One is the area of relationships. Listen, we want them to struggle in sport. Listen, sport's going to end for all of us, but you're always going to have relationships. And so I have to let them struggle relationally. So when you're, kid at eight years old gets in an argument with another eight-year-old, You, they don't need you. Let them work it out. The other area we have to let them struggle is the area of responsibility. Mm. We give them age-appropriate responsibility, and then we expect them and believe that they can deliver on it. And sometimes they don't. And guess what? There's a consequence. We move on and we give them the opportunity again. But so many times as parents, what we want to do is we want to work all of those things out for them. Cause sometimes it's just easier. Like I'll just pack your bag for you. That way you don't forget anything, but forgetting something's a great lesson. Mm-hmm. You didn't have your cleats. So guess what? You had to play in your tennis shoes. That's mm-hmm. okay. It, it did not kill you and end your life or your baseball career. And so those are two things, but it's just, man, as a parent, and I say it all the time, there's two, two reasons why it's hard for us as parents to let our kids struggle. The first one is pain. It sucks. It's not fun watching them hurt. If And if you're a parent and it's fun watching them hurt, then you're in it. You, you need a different set of counseling. You know what I mean? Uh, the, the other reason it's hard is because we place so much of our kids' performance and accolades on our validation. Mm-hmm. And so I'm a great parent because my kid performed well. I tell people, if my daughter plays great in volleyball, it had nothing to do with me. If she plays terrible, it had nothing to do with me. Mm-hmm. Like she needs to work same in school. Uh, and so I think you're right. And just, we just get so caught up in what I call using the wrong scoreboard to measure who and where, who our kids are becoming and where they're going. Mm, it's so powerful. And I think it it's so true because what I joke at about is, if you don't pass that seven-year-old test, it's like, and that was me. You're in trouble at nine. No, well, you're in trouble at 30 because yes, I didn't yes. learn how to mop or clean because my mom even drove yes. down to yes. like Kennesaw and cleaned for me and did yeah. my laundry. And then I got married and my husband, he ha- he passed the seven, the eight, the, like he's been doing, he's like, Emily. No. And so my kids literally, as we're doing this podcast, they're cleaning my house. I have yes. a broken foot and they're cleaning yeah. it because yeah. guess what? They got to step up to the team and they got to do their responsibilities. Yes. yes. They got to cover up mine yes. whenever I'm hurting Yes. as well. So I think that's the other aspect of it is, is, and it goes in that relational. It's like when one person's down, you can also learn how to help out in the yes. team dynamics. It's not a me dynamics yeah. whenever it comes in. So talk about that for a minute because I am seeing a lot of them. I was actually shocked. I did um, with one of my teens, I did a question and it was a, it was a goofy one. It was like um, the first one was like, would you rather get uh, punched by Mike Tyson or get a fastball in the arm by some pitcher? And then the next one was, would you rather be um, on a winning team, a part of a winning team, or would you rather be the MVP? Mm Mm-hmm. 35% 35% of them rather just be the MVP and not be on that. It was just about them. And I'm like, hmm, this is interesting. Um, I didn't get to dive into it. Yeah. I wanted to. But talk about that on some of that me orientation that I'm seeing that's just something foreign. 
So one of one of our modules on our uh, parent engagement, our online learning for organizations and schools and things is we talk about as a family, how do we develop a team player? Listen, no family sets out to have the most entitled, arrogant, bratty kid at, you know, 15 years old in high school. They don't do it intentionally. But if we don't have a listen, our flesh is selfish. That's why it's, it's crazy to me because we live in this world that just says, hey, just be you. I'm like, you don't want me to just be me. <laughs> I am, I am ugly at the core, you know? And so as a parent, one of the things we teach, and I learned this with me is a lot of times, like, so let's say little Emily plays in a game and, you know, she gets done. The first question the moms or dads usually going to ask is, Hey, how'd you do? How do you think you did? Well, to me, that says it's all about you now multiplied by one. Maybe it's not that dangerous, but over the course of eight years, the kid starts believing that it's all about them. And so what we believe is you have to change your questions because questions are powerful. And so the first question you ask is, how did you think the team did? You know, the second question that I believe is super powerful, Emily, and it goes back to that recognizing others is who played well on the team? I'm going to force my bratty little teenage girls to praise another girl that she's in direct competition with. Mm -hmm. And guess what? It's one of the most beautiful things ever because when you can celebrate the success of others, you can actually become successful yourself. Amen Listen, to that one. Not, not being able to celebrate others is paralyzing. You think it's not, it is, it will, I mean, it, it is like, it, it is like a disability in a sense. I mean, it is a mental disability, not being able to celebrate the success of others. And so we've got to reframe our questions. So even the kid, we're teaching them, hey, I love you, but like, like you're special to me, but like in the big world, you're not that, I mean, you're just a normal, I mean, you're just one of 14 kids on a team. Uh, and so we think that is dangerous, but I love, again, I love Tim Elmore. I got a crush on him, but at, at the end, Tim Elmore talks about like, we're so afraid to let our kid hurt. And there's a big difference in hurtful and harmful. Harmful is mm -hmm. not healthy. You don't want your kid to be harmed, but our kids experiencing hurt actually, again, develops them. It's like a callus that makes us ready for the next we're going to always experience hurt, man. Mm -hmm. I'm 44 years old and I'm still, my wife would say, you're the most sensitive, like, you know, need affirmation human <laughs> on, on the planet, you know? And so, but if you don't know how to manage any sort of hurt, listen, you're going to run to addiction, all sorts of different, you're going to try to mask that pain with something rather than going, Hey, this probably isn't my best day, but it's also not my last day. Mm -hmm. And so I can get through this. That's so powerful. And it, it goes back to like, um, I caught somebody off guard because my, my daughter currently we're actually doing some testing on her. She has kidney stones. She's okay. six years old and everybody's like, Oh, I feel so bad for her, like, and all these different things. And yes, it sucks. Yes. It yeah. sucks. I'm we like, wouldn't choose it. Yeah. We wouldn't choose it, but it's like, this girl is like her resilience and her tenacity is just like off the roof. And I'm like, okay, this is teaching the character. Like mm -hmm. even as a mother, I couldn't teach these things. Yes. And I, I learned from having my life sucks. I would not wish on my worst enemies, but they have taught me to grow and become. And if I had been protected from them, I wouldn't be here where I am today. So it's not to say that I want these, the kidney stones or I want this, this mm -hmm. stuff to happen to my kids. But I think it's too, it's to embrace the struggle, embrace that suck and be able to, to see the beauty in it. And 
Because what I've I've also seen is people will just like baby her on it. Mm-hmm. And it's just uh, like, no. So talk yes. about that again, about sometimes if people play bad, we just totally baby their emotions to mask mm-hmm. them. And so they have to feel good instead of evaluate, hey, you played bad. Yeah. Yeah. And, and sometimes I think just like when we only address, like, again, it goes back to performance, man. And we live in a performance culture and we live in an Instagram filter culture where like, you know, no one really sees the real us. And so what happens is we, when we play bad, we have to justify it. And when we play good, we have to publicize it. And so like, we even have a rule in our house. We don't publicize our kids' performances. Like you go look at our Facebook and like, you're not going to see like us going, Oh, Brooke did this good or whatever. Because to me, it just adds anxiety to the kid. They got enough pressure. And mm-hmm. at the end of the day, I don't care how she played. I mm-hmm. care who she's becoming. And so I, I love you use the word become. And one mm-hmm. of the things I think is a struggle for parents. Oh man, it's so hard. This parenting thing is hard. <laughs> yes. um, is that we, we want our children to be now what we had to become over time. Mm-hmm. And yep. so like I see parents talking to their kids like you need to do you need to love this more. And I hear coaches say it like, well, they, you know, they just don't love it like I do. I'm like, coach, no crap. They're 15. They have boyfriends, you know, like they're they don't even know who they are in life. And so like for you to expect them to love it like you do is unfair because you've lived 30 more years. Mm-hmm. And so when we learn to put ourselves in their shoes and go, OK, this is kind of the lens they're seeing it through. Let's just keep pointing them in the right direction and hope that one day they grasp it. What And that could be in sport, academics, spiritually, relationships, whatever. Um, I'm a big believer. I love this word here. It's called long haul attributes. Mm-hmm. Our priority has to be long haul attributes because here's what long haul attributes do. Hitting a baseball is not a long haul attribute because 99% of the world, 99.99% of the world will not swing a baseball bat today. As mm-hmm. big as we think it is in our world, it's not that big or a tennis racket or a basketball or whatever. And so long haul attributes are this. There are things that cross all boundaries and they stand the test of time. Mm-hmm. Perseverance, long haul attribute. Responsibility, long haul attribute. Integrity, long haul attribute. Respect, long haul attribute. Empathy, long haul attribute. You know, uh, uh, taking initiative long haul attribute. And so you teach though, if your priority becomes that as a family, mm-hmm. if your kid has any baseball acumen at all, they're going to go so freaking further. They're going to go so much further than you ever could get them going to lessons. That's so, so true. And I think it's too, I see some people, in my opinion, burn their kids out. Oh my dude, we squeezed the sponge so, so hard, so early. It's ridiculous that we could do a whole nother one on that, man. Oh, we probably could. Yeah. That's what, I've gotten some flack against it because I, my number's 12. Like at I age, love it. age I love 12, it. you can go for it. Yes. But before then, I'm not killing my life. That's it. Like, because again, talking about a family, like you all get one sport, like we want, and yeah. we also have a farm. We need you outside. We have responsibilities, yes. family responsibilities. Yes. But and I've, in my opinion, I think I'm going back to what you're saying. Whenever the character happens, the skill can be, you can gain it. I gain, and, and I, I don't know. That's just a pet peeve of mine is seeing these kids that have so much potential be killed by well-intended parents 
It's a misapplication of love. Vicariously living through their children. Mm -hmm. So I know we're right at the end of our time. So I would love for you to give some advice or invite people um, to maybe take two steps on um, or three steps on how can they um, reapplicate their love yeah. for their kids in a way that is well, it's well, I'll say wise, well, intelligent, safe and empowered. How is it can, that it can be, be better for them in the future? Oh man, so I know hard. you got like twenty in your head right no, now. No, I mean, I mean, I, I think this: if you if you think it's necessary for your kid to start early, then start slowly. Uh, like I'm, I'm a, I'm with you. I'm a believer in starting later. You know, a lot of parents will ask me, "Well, what what age should my kid start?" I said, "That's the wrong question. I don't know." You know, like depends on who your kid is. But instead of asking when my kid should start, here's what I would begin with: Who do I want my kid to be when they finish? Mm-hmm. So like, dude, I'm not concerned when they start because listen, if, if my goal is eight-year-old baseball, then you better go freaking hard at seven. But if your goal is eight-year-old baseball, you, again, you need a different set of counseling because that's terrible. You're, I call it sport prostitution. You've become your kid's pimp. That's mm-hmm. not good. And so start again, go, it goes back to Dr. Elmore. Like the further out I can see, the better decision I'll make in the present. Ask yourself, who is my child? What are the things? How are the things we're doing affecting who my child is becoming? So I'll give you three boundaries or four boundaries, really, that I think are important. First, create a financial boundary as you navigate the sport journey. Mm-hmm. My, brother's pediat- my brother's a pediatric dentist. We don't live in the same size house. It doesn't make him better than me. We just have a different budget. Quit trying to meet the same budget that everybody else is doing. First of all, most of them are wasting money. OK, you don't have to do it. Quit paying for the lessons and all the stupid stuff. So financial boundary, the second boundary, create a family boundary, like how, so financial boundary, how much are we willing to spend or able to spend? How early will we start that? All right. Two good questions. Second boundary, family boundary. How often are we willing to be a part? How early are we willing to start that? You got to ask those questions. Like I would suggest wait till later to be a part. All right. Because all the research says six to 13 is when you're developing their moral compass and like those intrinsic things. 14 on, you're just a counselor at this point. Like, all right. And so we could go on about that too. The, the, the third boundary is I call a faith boundary. Like if faith is important to you, then prioritize it. Create a boundary there. I'm not saying you, you can ever, I'm going to the beach this week. We're going to miss church, all right? I'm not a legalist, but if it's important to us, if, if all we're doing is eight-year-old baseball, then one of two things is what our kid is starting to believe. Either baseball is God or they are God, both of which will fail them. And so creating a faith boundary, the fourth boundary, this is a new one that I've just started talking about because it's so big is you got to have a feeling boundary. Listen, the emotions we feel are real, but they Mm -hmm. do not have to rule. The emotions you feel as a parent, they are real, even the good ones, but it doesn't mean they have to rule. It's why I love the, you know, there's a great quote. it's, It's a Bible verse says above all else, guard your heart. And so as a parent, I've got to protect those feelings from becoming dangerous and detrimental, both in our family's life and my child's life and in the community in which we're operating. So listen, man, I'm so jacked up right now. I could go on forever, but uh, hopefully that's good advice. I love every bit of it, especially that last one. I'm so glad you added that because that is one of the things we always talk about is feelings is especially in decision making, like wait another day. It won't kill you. (laughs) Like, yes, 
it's just like we get so wrapped up in our feelings and in that moment or the fear of missing out that you what you even said in the beginning like you're not being able to to look long term you're looking yes. at the here and now and yes we want to be present but we're not present when other things are owning us so Listen, oh. and i'm i'm guilty man i mean I think one, and this just came to my mind, so I'll have to give you credit for cultivating this. This is just the way my mind works because it really is a lot of fear of missing out. We're so, even for our kids, well, what if they get behind or whatever? But like fear of missing out is usually a result of not knowing what we're really after. And so what, uh, you know, so that just came to my mind too. Like, so what if we could really understand what we're, so who do we really want our children to become? Well, it's a little bit easier to miss out on some stu like, oh yeah, they weren't an eight-year-old all-star. Well, guess what? Nobody freaking knows who the eight-year-old all-stars are anyway. And so if we could help, and it's what we want to do with families is help them really know, mm -hmm. what are you really about? Let's mm -hmm. iron that out. And then let's let that help be the filter in which we make decisions. So yeah. man, that's 2904 of <laughs> high octane Emily and Heath uh, conversation. Yeah, yeah. So we'll, well do it I again. Appreciate you so much, Heath. Uh, for anybody that is listening, they love what you're saying. How can they reach out to you or learn more? Man, they can go to a betterwayathletics.com. I mean, it's 2021. Go to Google. It's a little search bar up, up <laughs> in your computer. Type in Heath Esslinger. You could probably find me. But man, if your organization or family wants to know more about how to navigate this, uh, you know, more effectively, go to a betterwayathletics.com. We'd love to help you. If you're a coach out there, man, whether it's a better way athletics or FCA, listen, we want to help you. I, I believe we have coaches that are capable. They're just either ill-equipped or exhausted. I was one of those ill-equipped coaches too. And so there, there's two powerful influences, I believe, in the life of our kids. One is the parent, ultimate, ultimate influence. The other are coaches and educators. Mm -hmm. And so if we, if we can help create alignment between those two, man, we're going to change this generation for good. And I think that's what God, God has called me to do. I know it's what he's called you to do. And so... Um, I want to offer some prescriptions. Awesome. I love it. And I'm so grateful for you, Heath. Thank you for all that have listened in. And uh, thank you, Heath, just for your time. This has been a blessing. Have an thank amazing you. day, everybody. Thank you so much for tuning in to this episode of Unapologetically Bold. I'm not sorry for. If this touched you in any way, please like and subscribe. And share with your friends as we continue the message of being unapologetically bold by being hot humans who are humble, open, and transparent. See you next time.